This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Monday show. As you might be able to tell, I'm moving a little bit slow uh, this afternoon uh, after Joy G's. I'll talk about that in a moment. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or anything else that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them to us that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the hands, uh, the um, call now button at the top of the of the app, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we had a great day Saturday at Joy of Jesus. I want to thank those of you who prayed. I especially want to thank those of you who who made your way out to the park, and I got to meet quite a number of you uh, face-to-face on uh, Sunday. <laughs> one, one guy called or came up to me and says, Man, I pictured you about six foot seven. I could see the disappointment in his eyes, but it really was a great, great day. Dozens and dozens of people uh, prayed to receive the Lord, whether they were serious or not is between them and the Lord. But we delivered the message of this wonderful gospel. Um, We gave away more clothes than I I thought was possible. Uh, People got fed. People got haircuts. They got makeovers. They visited our doctors uh, all day throughout the day. It was just an amazing thing to see. Uh, as a pastor, as a pastor of this church, Calvary Chapel, i got to tell you, one of the most thrilling days of my year every year is Joy of Jesus because I get to kind of sit back and watch people use the gifts that God has given them. Uh, if I have any small part, it's just teaching the Bible. But to watch people grow and to see the excitement in their face uh, when they were serving, I was talking to a, a man at the gym this morning. He was still excited uh, for the work that was done at Joy Jesus. So it really, really was a great day. And uh, we're grateful for those of you who got a chance to make it. And again, I want to thank you uh, for praying. It was a really, really good Saturday for us. Let me get to some questions. Oh, I know what I forgot. Tonight, ladies, is our uh, ladies' Bible study. Linda 
Todd McMillan will be teaching out of the book of Judges. Uh, Paula will be there. Um, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men's Bible studies all at 7 o'clock. Uh, we also have our junior high school age kids and our high school age youth uh, who will be meeting at the same time. Everybody comes together for worship and then they go in separate directions inside the church. Uh, the ladies will be in the sanctuary and you can watch that at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. We'd love to see you there. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent while we await your phone calls. Uh, this question comes from Roger. He says, I read online that Martin Luther hated Jews. I know God used him, but how can he be saved and an anti-Semite? Um, Roger, one of the most difficult things uh, that that we can do is try to judge people in generations past by today's standards. We live in the 21st century. Uh, but people who lived like he did in the in the 16th century, uh, things were completely different. I have personally read some of the, the horrible things Martin Luther has said uh, directed toward Jews. Uh, I, too, as a young believer, really stumbled over those kind of things. And yet, I think the conclusion that I came to, Roger, was that, um, you know, God uses flawed people. Um, I, I can imagine, I don't want Jesus to wait, but should he wait and 200 years from now somebody's listening to my Bible studies or, or, or reading something that I wrote, I would hate to be judged according to the um, um, standards of the time that they live in. So things change, culture is fluid, um, but uh, here's what we know for sure. Martin Luther was used unbelievably powerfully by the by the Lord. Uh, I have no doubt that he is in heaven. Um, and I think he's probably really sorry now for some of the things that he said and wrote. But uh, as, as unacceptable as prejudice is, uh, we're all shaped by the time and the culture that we live in. So it's very important that we don't try to put our standards on somebody who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Instead, uh, let's just let God kind of figure out um, who's his and who's not. But I have no doubt that Martin Luther was. Let me go to my first phone call. It is our anonymous caller on line one. Thank you for calling. You're on the air. Uh, hello, Pastor. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Uh, as a Christian, I've been praying to God, you know, like, because uh, I want to I witness for Christ, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. can't go to door to door just knocking on anybody's door, you know, just looking to a witness for Christ. So I said, Father God, send them, send somebody that's lost to me one at a time. And guess what? He did that today. Oh, he's a friend of mine, and um, he's a friend of mine. And um, I began talking to, talking to him about the Bible and Jesus and, and Jesus' power to save him. He's, and I, so I said, would, would you like to be saved by Christ? Because you could be saved right now and then. He said, yeah. So I said, do you believe the Bible will be the complete word of God? He said, yes. So I said, okay. I told him to bow his head and say the sinner's prayer after me, and he did. Now he's saved. Okay, in addition to that, my question is, um, we have problems. We may be Christians, but none of us are problem-free, of course. So my question is, um, how do we know or understand 
uh, when God is going to bring a closure to all this, all this evilness by the devil. Uh, I'll listen mm-hmm. to my response on the radio, sir. Okay, Anonymous, thank you. Before I get to the specific question, let me say thank you for being bold enough not only to take advantage of the opportunity that God provided, but to ask for that opportunity. Um, if you have uh, access uh, to a computer, Anonymous, uh, you might listen to the message that I did yesterday because it was about this very thing. Uh, it was the, the study in Luke chapter 19 about the parable of the of the, the ten servants who each got a mina, and they were to invest it. And the mina, of course, represented the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the, the last remaining real treasure in this world. And my, my Bible study was an exhortation to our church. Tell people, look, we've got to share Jesus. We've got to be those men and women who ask the Lord for those opportunities and look for them throughout the day and, and take advantage of them when they're presented. I mean, we're going to be judged by God on the basis of what we did with this priceless gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, the parable of the mine is, is so clearly pointed at evangelism, our responsibility to share our faith. I told our church yesterday that, that I know it makes people uncomfortable to share. We don't like being rejected. Uh, too many of us, we think that religion is sort of a, a, a personal, private thing, and we shouldn't talk to people about it. And the culture that we live in, uh, to say I'm a Christian, uh, will immediately get us branded as, as a homophobe or, or a hater or a bigot. Uh, and yet um, we've got the only good news left in this world. So I think you would enjoy, especially after your experience today, I think you'd enjoy the message that I did yesterday here at the church. Um, when is God going to get rid of all of the evil? When's he going to stop it? Anonymous, he's going to stop it when he comes again. You know, Peter writes that, that God isn't slack or slow concerning his promise to return, but he's patient, unwilling that any should perish. And so he, he's going to intervene in this evil world. All the terrible things that are happening, the, the, the really, really awful people, he, believe me, he's going to intervene. But when he does, the judgment's going to be complete. When he comes, and we'll be with him, Anonymous, when he comes, um, he's going to destroy his enemies with a word. And, and the world is going to be cleansed of those who rejected Jesus Christ. And then he's going to start over for a thousand years. We're going to rule and reign with him on this earth. After the thousand years are up, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to be with Jesus forever. And there won't be any more of this evil. Now, here's the problem. We see all these terrible things that are happening. And we want God. And in fact, sometimes we blame him. Why, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, if God were to intervene today, and get rid of evil, it would mean he has to get rid of all evil. You know what that would mean, Anonymous? I'll give you an example. The, the friend or the, the person that you led to the Lord today, the Lord used you to lead him to the Lord. Um, let's just say that Jesus came yesterday to get rid of all the evil. That man wouldn't have been alive today to hear the truth of Jesus Christ and surrender his heart. You wouldn't have had that opportunity. Not only that, but if God were to deal with evil, 
then a lot of the things that people do that they don't think are evil, they also would be wiped out. You see, he's not only going to deliver the, uh, deliver the world from the terrible evil that's done person to person. It's not just murders and horrible things that happen. But he's going to deliver the world from all evil. Let's just say you had a, a girlfriend and you were spending the night with her and you were having sex. That evil would have to be judged. You'd be judged. So you see, God is patient. Romans says, chapter 11, there's a, a, a finite number of Gentiles. That means... Those who are not Jews, there's a finite number of people that are going to be saved. He knows that number. We don't. When the last one is saved, Jesus is going to come and get his church. And then he's going to deal with the evil. But we call that the Great Tribulation. And because of the Great Tribulation and how horrible it is, um, right now he's in the business of saving people. That's going to come to an end at some point. But right now, Jesus is in the business of giving grace, offering forgiveness of sins. So that day is coming. I personally believe, Anonymous, it's coming soon. Um, But I admit that people have been saying that, Christians have been saying that now for 2,000 years. So when's he going to come? I don't know. But he could come right now today, and then he's going to judge this evil world. And we shouldn't be thrilled about judgment. It's a painful thing. It'll break his heart. But it has to be done because God is holy. Good question, and thank you for letting me know that you're asking God for opportunities every single day. He'll provide him, I promise. Great, great call. Thank you very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is another anonymous question that was emailed in. Uh, it says, Pastor Arne, are we supposed to understand the Song of Songs as literal or poetic? Um, uh, anonymous, we're supposed to do both. Now, clearly it's a poetic book. But it's a literal, historical love story. Now, I have to be really careful because I can go off on this and, and I won't take the time today. But the Song of Solomon is a real story of love. Um, Solomon, uh, whose breath is taken away by the Shulamite maiden, he sees her and falls head over heels in love with her, and he pursues her, and they end up together. Uh, So it's a real story. It's a story of love. But it's also an allegory or a poem with symbolic value as well. And the symbolic value is, is so powerful, so rich, because Solomon in that psalm is a, um, a picture of Christ. You know, when you read the Song of Psalms in, in our newer translations, there's, there's um, uh, subtitles to different sections, depending on who's speaking. Uh, you'll see lover, that's Solomon speaking to his bride. You'll see the beloved, that's the bride speaking either to Solomon or to her friends. And then there's the friends. And, and and you read those things. Now, symbolically, if you were to read only the parts that say lover, that's Jesus speaking to you. It's what Solomon saw. It's what Solomon understood his bride to be. But it's what Jesus sees you. All beautiful you are, my darling. All beautiful, no flaw in you. 
And you see, if we understand that, that's how Jesus looks at us. I tell people all the time who have a really uh, difficult time understanding the the love of God, you know, when people are afraid of him or when they've got a, a mischaracterization of him and think he's angry at him or he's going to punish him. I, I send him right to this book and I say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read just the parts with the subtitle Lover. It'll take you about eight minutes if you if you read at normal speed. Just read all of them and then tell him to read it like ten times. And the reason I want him to do that is because I want him to bathe in the love of God. I want them to really hear Jesus tell them, all beautiful you are, my darling. You see, what we would do is say, oh, I'm not all beautiful. I, I've got all these problems. And I keep doing these things. But Jesus sees you as perfect. And if we understand that, we finally get that in our heart. It, it changes us for the rest of our lives. I don't think there is... A, a, a more appropriate book to read for the man or the woman in this audience who, who is always worried that God is going to crush him or God is angry with him or impatient with him or even frustrated with him. Because once we learn how much God loves us, then and only then will, be, will we be able to bask in that love. So I hope that answers your question. I told you I wasn't going to go off and almost did. I absolutely love the book. Anonymous, I have um, a teaching, a couple of them, I think, on the Song of Songs uh, on our website at calvaryessay.com. I've taught the book not only here a couple of times, uh, but I've taught it in conferences that we've gone and done, uh, especially marriage conferences, because there's great practical application within our marriage as well in that book. So, Great, great question. Here is a question from Nick. He says, 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22 says, This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, that's the passage. Here's his question. He says, so how is baptism not necessary for salvation? Uh, Nick, if you read the passage closely, and this is what we have to do, it doesn't say baptism saves you. It says this water, living water, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. In fact, it goes out of the way, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. I'll use our last caller's uh, example today. You know, when when he prayed for his friend to receive Jesus Christ, um, all of the dirt in the mind, in the heart, in the conscience was cleansed. That's what saved him. Baptism itself is simply... Uh, something that we do in obedience. We do it because we're saved, not to get saved. But that's exactly what Peter is saying. He's saying this is a symbol. What's the symbol? Living water is what saves us. It's the, the water Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria, drink this water, you'll never thirst again. But he's going out of his way in, in the passage that you asked about to, to say it symbolizes baptism. And, and it's that symbol, the living water that now saves us. So be very careful as you read these passages 
I've had a bunch of people over the years say, well, that First Peter 3 says baptism saves. It does not. It does not. Thanks, Nick. Here's a question from Lee. He says, Pastor Ron, how do you preach both God's sovereignty and man's free will? Lee, for me, it's easy. I don't see a conflict. I know when we start thinking about it, um, it, it, it seems like there's a conflict or we can create a conflict. But in reality, the conflict doesn't exist. So I can preach that God is sovereign, that he chooses us, that he knows everything. He knows what we're going to pray for. He knows if he's going to answer the prayer. He knows everything. But we also have a free will. God chose us. We have to exercise our free will to choose him back. And it's it's real simple. They, I, I, I see them as, as um, parallel lines, you know, that never intersect. Both things are true. Um, but God's sovereignty doesn't cause the choices that I make. God's sovereignty just knows the choices I'm going to make. And it's really, really important. Here is another angle in this question, Lee. Uh, I'll have people say, well, why pray if God knows what's going to happen? Why should we do it? The answer is because he said to do it. And we know in a way that's impossible to describe that prayer moves the heart of God. We've seen Moses' prayer when he was acting as an intercessor. We've seen Joseph's prayer. We've seen uh, Daniel's prayers. We know that the prayer of, of, of a faithful man or woman moves the heart of God. So we pray. We don't just kind of sit back and wait for things to happen. God wants us to partner with him in this matter of prayer. So God sovereignly knew that Judas was going to betray Jesus. At the same time, Jesus kept giving Judas opportunities to repent. He chose not to, and thus he's lost. So, Lee, if you teach the Bible, one of the beautiful things about teaching the Bible the way we do here at Calvary Chapel, we can't miss any scriptures. So there are passages of scripture that when I teach it, it is God this, God that, it's all God. And then you get to another place, and it talks about our responsibility. So you've got to view both of those things as true. And if you do that, then you understand that God is working in partnership with the people that he loves. So that's the answer, Lee. It's not a problem at all. Let's go to a phone call. We've got about three minutes left. Robert on line one. Robert, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, how you doing? Um, i got a question for you. It has to deal with uh, social media in today's um, we're dealing with children. just want to see what your take is. Uh, one of my uh, my daughter is actually kind of doing some things inappropriately on there, and um, and she's done some other things that I found on social media, and I'm just trying to see. I plan on taking it away from her, but mm-hmm. how do you kind of manage that along with not pushing them into further re- uh, rebellion if I'm going to do that? Because anytime I see stuff on there, um, it's kind of let her into the a few problems that we've had over the past several months have always been related to her Instagram account and the Snapchat and, mm-hmm. you know, and then having a secret account. Um, just want to see what your take is and what do you yeah. think disciplinary wise? I know 
it's up to every individual parent, but it's kind of really mm-hmm. tough on some of the stuff you're seeing out there. And try not to right. take dead. Yeah, how old is she? She is 15, she's going to be 16 oh. next month. But if you see her okay. pictures on there, you would think she's 20, 21. Yeah. And some yeah. of the comments that are online are, you know, a little a little tough. When, you know, I, I'm not a part of that Instagram world until just recently. Yeah. And now that I'm yeah. seeing it, I'm definitely not liking anything I'm seeing on there. <laughs> Robert, let yeah. me deal with this. And, and I'm going to take this. Uh, I'll start now, but I'll take it over the break because... Uh, my answer is going to be a little bit longer than the time that we have. So yeah, thank any, you for calling. Any advice, any advice you have or, you know, might being too strict by, you know, taking it away. I mean, I've given her too many chances. I think it's my fault for not taking it away sooner. But um, yeah. I'll, I'll listen to you on the other side, Pastor Ron. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Robert. we got less than one minute, so I'm not even going to start here. Uh, but I just spoke to my pastors and I spoke... Uh, a little less directly to uh, our our church about this very issue. And boy, do I ever have strong feelings and I'll be able to share. You know, um, let me say this, give you something to think about as we go go to the break. Song of Solomon, one of the things it says in there is do not awaken desire before it's time. And we've let social media awaken a whole lot of desire in our children before it's time. So I'll get to that on the other side of the break. Robert, thank you for the opportunity. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Robert, I am going to ruffle lots and lots of feathers here. Our responsibility as parents... This question for those of you who might just be getting in the car or tuning in right now was about social media, some problems he's having with his daughter who is 15 years old. Uh, our responsibility as parents is to parent our children, not to be friends with them. We're to protect them from the things in this world that can hurt them. And over and over and over, kids are getting younger and younger and the pressure to get them uh, cell phones and and access to to the outside world, harmful things, is increasing uh, with each year. Uh, my granddaughters, um, we can't live without a phone. Everybody has a phone. We don't have a phone. Um, our children's, our teenagers' brains, the psychology, is not ready for the exposure that they're going to have. Now, you've got a long battle in front of you, Robert. If you're going to uh, discipline her and take it away, um, uh, you're going to have a battle. Um, Cell phone use is addictive. There's a great series of of lectures given by a man named Simon Sinek. I think it's S-Y-N-E-K. You can find it on YouTube or online. uh, and, And put Simon Sinek cell phones and he's going to talk to you about about the, 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 the effects 
that cell phones have, not just on kids, but on adults. And we really are connected to them. We can't get people to put them down. And these are adults that I'm talking about. How much less prepared are children? Children are exposed to pornography um, in ways that, that somebody my age growing up never could have imagined. They're exposed to danger through social media contacts. Um, there's there's almost nothing that's edifying on social media. Your kids are more tech-savvy. Robert, you indicated that was the case for you. Your kids are more tech-savvy than you are. And, and even the parents in our church say, well, you know, they know that we're going to look at everything they do. Uh, they've got apps and, and, and back doors on their cell phones that their parents couldn't possibly begin to navigate. These things are harmful. My youth pastor goes so far as to say any parent, and he's not an old guy, but, but any parent who lets their child take a cell phone into their bedroom with them overnight is inviting the enemy to destroy the child that they've sworn to God to protect. The psychology simply isn't ready for the exposure to the things that are out there. Um, most of us here at Calvary Chapel, we're not social media people. Uh, our youth pastor um, follows the kids on Instagram, Snapchat, the things that they put on there and post and say. There are times we got to go to their parents and say, you know, your kid's doing this, or your kid said this. Um, and, and it's just such a natural thing. It's it's like they're they're uh, uh, metaphorically barfing all of their junk up, and and people are going to use it. Certainly, gossip is destructive. We know that from the word. But uh, these kids that are sending sexual pictures of themselves around like it's no big deal, they're being challenged to do it. There are challenges on social media that these kids involve themselves in. We have a Christian school, and they can't have their cell phones. They have to turn their cell phones in when they come to come to school in the morning. But, but we find some of our kids doing some of those challenges. It's just dangerous. And Robert, as a dad who loves his daughter, as a dad who's going to stand before Jesus Christ and give account of how you um, protected her, it's your responsibility to take her away. I personally don't think anybody should have a cell phone, any child should have a cell phone, um, until they're... I'm going to sound like a Neanderthal here. I don't think they have them until they're, they're, they're graduated high school. I know how impossible that sounds, but we've lived a long time without everybody knowing our business or us knowing everybody else's business. I challenge the adults in our church, Robert, to spend more time in the Word than they do on social media. And they don't, but I challenge them to do it. How much more are your kids? They're not spending time in the Word. Social media is going to devour them. And so it's your responsibility not only to discipline her in love, but to take the hits that are going to come with disciplining her. And if you've already seen some difficulties, I can't tell you how many parents have come to me with their sons and daughters 
with problems with pornography, getting a, a skewed picture of what sex is all about. And it's all because they never supervised their social media use. Facebook is, it ought to be marked with skull and crossbones. Snapchat and some of the Instagram and some of the others, the, the things that your kids are exposed to is uh, worse than, than horrible. It's horrible and dangerous. And we're giving our kids permission to destroy themselves. We might as well say, devil, let me introduce you to my daughter. Because I promise you, he is going to have no mercy and he's going to do everything that he can to destroy her. Here's what else happens. Your kids spend so much time in their phones. Now they're watching the example set by their parents in most cases. People aren't talking in families. They're not sitting down together to, to eat and have conversations as families have done from the beginning. We can't be separated from our cell phones for even minutes, it seems. And in the process, we're losing Jesus. We're losing one another. Your children are losing the ability to communicate face-to-face. You're exposing them. And I would say the same thing is true of the video game world. They no longer talk to anyone, to, to, to one another. They They just text and communicate through social media it's it's unhealthy it's dangerous and Robert you have to take a stand um, be prepared it's going to be difficult these things are so addictive um, she won't take it easy uh, but you got to do it and um, further you got to watch your exposure I we've seen cases where kids who were who had their cell phones taken away from them uh, they would just wait till they got to school and use everybody else's cell phone and do it. This has to be something that you're serious about and committed to doing. And you're doing it in the name of loving your daughter. You know, I have challenged people um, because they, they just think this is Neanderthal of me to think, well, kids need cell phones. For what reason do they need a cell phone? If they need a cell phone so you can contact them and you can, as a mom or a dad, can loan them yours for an evening. They don't need them. Doesn't matter what all the other kids do. We need to be more aware and we need to be more protective of our kids. They cannot and will not protect themselves, so it is a parent's responsibility. I know I'm not going to change the world. I know almost nobody's going to take my advice here. But I can't tell you how much of my time is spent with broken-hearted parents because they find the things that their kids have been doing online. It's a horrible, horrible existence, and we're just inviting our kids for that destruction. So, Robert, I will actually be praying for you and for your daughter. Um, sit down and explain to her in love. You're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to say, how did you do protecting our kids. On Friday night, uh, I'm going to be teaching out of Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplining us as a loving father. And I'm going to be talking about some of these issues 
uh, Robert, uh, on our Friday night study this week. I just finished that study today. And uh, I will be uh, addressing, letting God be the example of what a parent should be. I wish you well. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Becky. She said, should Christians plead the blood of Jesus when we have problems? Becky, you don't have to plead the blood of Jesus at all. I know that's sort of charismaniac um, language. Well, just plead the blood. You got to, You have to plead for anything. You don't even have to ask for it. It's not like the blood is going to show up and take away your problems. What you need when you have problems is the presence of Jesus. You know, I, it's always been distressing to me that we have these uh, this whole language that we, we talk. It doesn't make any sense to anyone in the world except Christians. Um, we have this whole language. Plead the blood of Jesus. Why do we have to plead something that's been given to us freely? So, Becky, no, you don't need to plead the blood of Jesus when you have problems. What you need to do is get into the presence of Jesus when you're having problems and let him carry those burdens for you as you walk with him. Here is a caller. Let's go Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron. Hey, hi, Jeff. Oh, man, I am not disappointed that you're not six foot seven. <laughs> you said you saw the disappointment in my eyes. No, no, no. Now, now you're about 10 feet tall to me. <laughs> and which would make Paula double your height, so that would be about 20 feet tall. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, if we're going to measure a person by their humility and their Christ-like character, I would say you're 10 feet tall, brother. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It was so nice to meet you. I appreciate you and Veronica coming out. And uh, what was your impression of Joy of Jesus? Oh, just it, it was it was overwhelming to see so many serving, and in the way that they serve, uh, the, the unity uh, and, and purpose of the event, and the opportunity, like you were talking about. The, the men and women that were on the massage tables thinking about how, mm -hmm. you know, these people never have a soft place to even lay down on and let alone have a massage. And we, 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 uh, as we were getting on the um, shuttle to go back to the parking lot, uh, a gentleman looked over at me and he was obviously a homeless man. And he said, thank you for what you did today. Oh. And that that opened a, opened a conversation to say, well, you know, we thank Jesus for the opportunity to serve our King, uh, and Jesus showed us compassion, so we show compassion to to those around us. And it was it was really neat to hear him say that. You know, there's a lot of people that are you know just kind of stuck out here perpetually, and have just you know adopted this way of life and don't see a way out. But he said, there's people like me that have have unfortunate circumstances that that want to get out and, and to have this kind of help brought to us just for a few hours this day it's just amazing and uh, we were just we were thrilled to see that but th but then we we felt some sadness because you know there's there Jesus talks about the unity of believers and and, and we wish more churches would 
would embrace this type of activity and, and, and serve the disenfranchised and, and the broken. Uh, and even if churches did it on a smaller scale, I mean, not everyone can have four or five hundred beautiful volunteers, but to, to, to take to take a stand for serving the broken, the broken. Uh, yeah. what a different, different place this would be. So we, we were very inspired and, and we just felt so loved. My wife was like, how do these people know you? I mean, they're coming up to you and saying, are you Jeff from the radio? And, and, and uh, Sam, your producer, Sam, uh, hello, Sam. I know you're on the other side somewhere. And, uh, but he saw me, he, he, he said, are you Jeff from the radio? And I said, how'd you know? Ah, Paula pointed me out to you, so I'm going to take you over to Pastor Ron. <laughs> but then, then Pastor Ken came up, and, oh, Ken, oh, man, it was like, it was, I, my wife said he, he hugged you like you were his prodigal son, long lost. <laughs> That's the supernatural unity of believers and the supernatural joy that we all share. And Paula, of course, was just, my wife was expecting her to be what she was and just all over the place and just so filled with love and and, and, and joy and compassion for everyone. It was just it was just beautiful. Maybe you didn't have the turnout that you wanted, but we never know who we're going to touch with, with the gospel. And That's right. and how it's like you know anyway I can go on and on, but I wonder if you would just talk, Pastor Ron, a little bit about a little bit more about a parable in, in Luke 19 about the talents. And one of the things you said in your sermon yesterday was, Paula mentioned it too, it was a good tired. So when we're, when we're, when we're tired of serving, but we're faithful, that doesn't give us, you know, necessarily the, the, the reason to, to, to take a break. I mean, we got to keep working, keep working, yeah, Jeff, I'll get to I'll get to that in a couple of minutes. We got some people holding on the line. Thank okay. you for coming out. I was really I was really blessed by your Spanish. That was just out of out of this world. So thanks for coming out. God bless you. you. Bet. Love you, thanks very Thank much. You. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Now, see, Jeff does not come to our church. It sounds like he does, but he does not come to our church. Let's go to line two. If you guys can be patient, holding, I'd appreciate. It. We'll get to you as quickly as we can. Jim on line two. Jim, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yes, sir. I was calling to ask what your opinion of the Disciples of Christ churches are. Jim, what I know about um, uh, the Disciples of Christ is that they are cult-like. I I won't go so far because I don't know firsthand um, that they are a cult. Uh, I know there are different branches of them, and some of them are really, really problematic. Um, I think when we get into... Uh, churches like that, legalistic churches uh, like them in particular. I think we're in a really unhealthy place. And, and cult or not a cult, uh, I think they're, they're probably not healthy for our walk with the Lord. So I, I, I would avoid them. It's not something that I would, I would recommend to anybody, especially when there's so many good people out there teaching the Word. So Jim, thank you for holding. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Reuben from Seguin. Reuben, thanks for holding. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you, Reuben. That's great. That's great. I'm glad to report that I'm doing a lot better uh, emotionally and uh, spiritually. Uh, you know, uh, 
I'm, uh, I'm praying to God to, to guide me and uh, to, to actually, I, I, you know, I know where I want to go. I want to, I want to go to, uh, to your place. Uh, you've helped me over the past, what, I don't know, two and a half years over the, over the phone. And I've never met you in person. I've never spoken to you. I saw you on TV though. I finally know what you look like. <laughs> I saw you. Too bad. The only way, the only way I recognized you wasn't because they said you, but uh, they wrote your name. It was your voice. You have a very yeah. distinct voice. And I, and I said, that's passed around. And sure enough, it's passed around a cavalry chapel church and like that so wow that's cool but uh anyways uh you know i i think i told you uh, even last year that i felt no i don't know if i did but i felt the lord telling me that you are where i need to go but i need to learn how to sever ties with where i'm at and what you told me last week really really helped so i'm just praying to the lord to give me the words and the and the courage the courage to say okay you know what i appreciate what you guys have done for me but i Literally, I, I you know I have to go, and I have to figure out how to say that. But that's not why I called. I have a question about the Bible, really quick. Uh, Deuteronomy 19, and uh, actually a few chapters in Deuteronomy, uh, speak of something called. Oh my God, where is it? Uh, the of the. Uh, uh, oh, where is it at? Uh, the taker of the avenger of blood. Uh, it talks about. Uh, the killer shall be sent by the town elders. He'll be brought back to the city and be handed over to the avenger of blood to die. Now, I've never heard that term before. It uh, doesn't speak about Satan or anything else. To whom is it referring when it says the avenger of blood? Uh, and I'll stay Thank on the you, line because I don't have a radio. Okay, Ruben, I'll answer quickly. we got one other call holding. He's been for a while, so I want to do this quickly. The avenger of blood, it was a responsibility. If somebody took the life of a family member, there'd be somebody in that family who would be accountable, responsible to avenge the blood. Uh, that's why God set the cities of refuge to make a distinction between uh, premeditated murder and, and accidental um, killing. Uh, we would call it manslaughter in our legal system today. Um, but the, the idea is, is that uh, the blood must be avenged. Uh, if a man takes the blood of a, uh, the life of a human, his life will be sacrificed. And so family members would, uh, you see honor killings and stuff in the Middle East now, you'd see family members who'd go out and kill them. Well, God had to provide a safe place. It's a picture of Christ. Um, but but the, the cities of refuge throughout the, the um, Old Testament, there were places where uh, people could go uh, and be safe from the avenger of blood until their case could be heard and a legal determination could be made about their culpability. Good question, Reuben. Thank you very much. Don't worry too much about how you say what you have to say. You just say it and be ready. I promise you there's going to be lots of people hugging on you when you get here to Calvary Chapel. Let's take uh, Rich on line four. Rich, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I uh-huh. have... Let me preclude this just a little bit. Uh, you know, in the Bible, it says that there was somebody in hell, and they said, uh, dip your finger in water and just put a drop on my tongue. And uh-huh. they said they couldn't. And they said, uh, uh, I have five brothers that, and, sa- and God said, if they didn't believe the prophets that I sent them, they're not going to believe somebody that comes back from the dead or something to that effect, right? Yes. Okay. Luke, Luke chapter Luke chapter 16. Okay. All that being said, 
I have heard in so many sermons that when we go to heaven, that there's all tears will be wiped dry and it's going to be nothing but happy and joyous and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. If I see a family member of mine, and evidently there is visibility between the two gulfs like this, right? Yes. If I see a family member of mine that is in hell and I can't comfort them, I'm not going to be very happy in heaven. Can you shine some light on that, please? Yeah, I can, Rich. Thank you for that. Um, you, the, the misunderstanding you have is it's it's not hell, um, the ultimate place for, for the dead after the second death. Um, what you saw in Luke chapter 16 was a place called Paradise, Abraham's bosom. Um, that's where Lazarus, the poor beggar, went. Uh, the rich man who who um, um, had no compassion uh, went to the place of torment, and then they could see from one side to the other. Now, what happened when Jesus died is he descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he went to the place that was called paradise in the Bible, and he set them free. In other words, he took them from that place in paradise to heaven with him because now the way was made. Everybody who died before Jesus, believers who died before Jesus was born and crucified and risen from the dead, they went to that place called paradise. Now that compartment that Luke 16 describes as paradise is empty because Jesus took all of those people with him to heaven uh, on the day that he was risen from the dead and, and, and set them free. So, so no longer can they see that the, that compartment is empty. The compartment of torment is still full and will be until the great white throne judgment uh, after the millennial reign of Christ on earth. So nobody can see. Something else that's important, Rich, to, to, to understand is that heaven is going to be a whole new order of things. Um, I get asked the question often about, well, well, if I know I have family members who are in hell, how am I going to not be uh, miserable? And how am I going to not be sad? Uh, a whole new order of things means that those memories are all going to be wiped away. People made their choice. We trust in the goodness, the fairness, the justice of God. And when we get to heaven, he's going to wipe away the tears. And I call it a brain swipe. He's going to give us that brain swipe where we won't remember anything but the presence of the Lord, a completely new order of things. So Luke 16 was temporary. That compartment emptied days into heaven with Jesus. Um, that place of torment still occupied. In heaven, we won't have those memories. Thank you, Rich, for being patient with uh, all the calls ahead of you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Remember, men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight at 7. Maybe we'll see you there. God bless you. See you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I need the word to stand on.